Welcome to another episode of the Gay Archive Show, where we explore gay history one bar at a time. I'm your host, Art Smith, and our guest today is coming all the way from London, England. He's a broadcast editor and journalist and the author of Gay Man Talking, Daniel Harding. So welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me. It's really cool. You're the first guest we've actually had that was um, being interviewed from across the pond. You're in London, correct? Yes. Hello from London. Greenwich in London, to be (laughs) exact. All right, then. So I'm kind of excited to hear about some of these bars. I've, I've done some of my own research. The first bar that you mentioned to me is a bar called Cliff Pub. And mm-hmm. for people, we have a lot of listeners who are not in England, a lot from the U.S. and Australia and elsewhere. Um, Cliff Pub is located in Southend-on-Sea, which is about, what, 90 miles east of London on the coast? Yeah, that's correct. It's about an hour and a half um, from the uh, centre of London in Essex, um, which a lot of people might recognise and know. Um, But yeah, Southend's sort of right on the end of it um, on the coast. Very cool. So what is your experience with Cliff Pub? Well, I think the Cliff um, is a pub in the heart of Southend in the town centre. And it's been there longer than I've been alive. And... Um, what it was when I was was growing up more than what it is now was um, a safe haven um, and a place that um, you heard whispers of um, before I was sort of out um, that gay people or LGBTQ plus people went there but no one ever really sort of um, you wouldn't go there it was known as the gay pub sort of thing Um, and then as um, I started to find myself and I came out at 18 I sort of, I went there and this whole new life opened up because of this pub um, and it allowed me to meet new people, to feel safe um, and it became a place as sticky as the floors were, as um, friendly as the staff and questionable um, punters there were. It was a place where I felt really sort of secure and allowed to be myself and for that reason it's iconic and it's actually stood the test of time. It's still there in a, a time when a lot of people argue that perhaps we don't need as many uh, gay places because we're more openly accepting in different venues. I still think it holds a really significant uh, role. And for Southend and Essex, it's been a hub and a heart of the queer community. And um, it's a really brilliant place, actually. They have a drag act often um, and comedy nights and pool tables and... It's a really good place, and I think they do cheap drinks as well on certain weeknights, so win-win. Yeah, I've heard that. I've read some of the reviews online, and repeatedly uh, the cheap drink thing comes up. So apparently <laughs> they're known for not being overpriced and pretentious. It's definitely not overpriced and pretentious. It used to have this really fantastic night as well um and I'm speaking when I was like 18, 19, and I was a wide-eyed twink. Um, and it has this fantastic duo called the Sisters with Blisters, who were a drag queen act, who were nuns, um, and they would be the DJ for the night, and they put on this fantastic show, um, and it was just incredible to watch 
to be so free and open. Um, and I remember it and just thinking, oh, gosh, this is this is incredible. This is amazing. This is life. So, um, yeah, I hold very fond memories. Unfortunately, the sisters and blisters, you won't see them these days because um, that was a few years ago now. But, um, yeah, you see other queer acts and um, drag acts and stuff. And if you're looking for a place which isn't London, because obviously that's our hub and stuff, and you're visiting Essex, you should definitely pay the Cliff Pub a visit because they're very welcoming, very friendly, and you'll be sure to have a good and cheap night out. Now, do you have any idea how long they've been operating as a gay bar? Well, that's really, um, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. So I, I am 36 now, so um, I think it's, I think it's something like 40 years, maybe. I think I feel like it's like quite a long time. Um, it might be longer because I think originally it had owners that sort of passed it down. And then one time it was a queer friendly owner. And then it's just been in queer hands ever since. Um, and now it uh, has a fantastic landlord called Ollie. Um, and he is a gay man and he's very accepting and lovely. But yeah, it's a great, it's, and they have like dress up nights and stuff like that. It's very cool. It's a very small town bar, pub, um, old man's pub style. It's cool. Is it the only gay bar in Southend? Well, I mean, it would call itself the only gay bar. However, there are two other venues, I would call them, um, called Hush and Infinity now, um, which do sort of late night style stuff. So more bar stroke club. Um but the Cliff Pub ha holds that retained sort of pub bar vibe. Um, and it's outlived everything else that's had pop-up nights and stuff like that. The Cliff always remains. So that's, it's a, it stood the test of time. It's a dinosaur, but a good one. <laughs> what kind of crowd does it attract? Is there any particular age group or type of people that go there? Yeah, do you know what? It's, that's a really interesting one as well, because the clientele, because it's a small town, it really does attract a wide audience. So you could get um, older people, you could get um, trans, lesbian, gay, bi. Um, you have a whole host of ages, whole host of um, people, backgrounds. And there really isn't an age demographic and it keeps on changing, um, which is quite a good thing as well. And that's probably why my my sort of group, um, my social group back from home is so diverse in age and um, gender and sexuality because the pub sort of holds so many different things. Like I, one of my bestest friends is a 55 year old and age is nothing. When you, when you go into the cliff, everyone's the same. So I, I hear that age. a lot, uh, even in the States, when I've talked to people about bars in smaller towns, that's mm. a common thread. In a big city, you have the opportunity for a bar to kind of specialize in, you know, 25-year-old preppy white boys or 45-year-old, you know, curmudgeon-y businessmen or whatever the case is. You can kind of segregate a little bit and specialize your bar in a particular um, group of the gay community. But in a lot of the smaller towns, um, I hear similar stories where, you know, it's basically the only real game in town. 
So anybody that labels themselves as queer, LGBTQIA, whatever, um, they all kind of gravitate there and they tend to have a more uh, diverse community at those bars. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. And I think as well, because um, for so many people, it was uh, sort of a a moment where they found themselves and they find comfort and stuff. I think it just accepts everyone. So it became that sort of place where it was ageless and everyone inside it becomes that as well. So you have students there, you have um, older people, you have um, family of um, queer people as well. It's really, um, yeah, it's a, it's a place for everyone. Is there any particular event or memory you have associated with the Cliff Pub that just kind of stands in your mind? Too many to note. All, end, all ending in a hangover the next day. Um, <laughs> I have very fond memories there. Um, again, I found, I found very fortunate to find um, a really good core group of people who are still my best friends today. And we've had many fond rem- memories there. Um, I think uh, a memory that always stands out is Halloween and year on year we always still go back there actually for Halloween which is really lovely and special um, I know the states do Halloween very well but um, we try and we try and rival you sometimes um, and the Halloween night always has a fancy dress and actually pulls people back from London because a lot of people from um, South End like myself move to London um, and often on Halloween you see um familiar old faces coming back to the pub which is really lovely so Halloween for me is always holds very interesting and um great memories usually with not very many clothes on (laughs) not because oh my gosh not because anything's happening just because it's Halloween and you have to go a bit slutty right right (laughs) yeah they joke about that here all the time there's you'll find pictures uh memes online around Halloween of you know, uh, gay Halloween costumes, and it'll say, like, it'll be a pretty much naked guy in a little skimpy pair of underwear with a hat on or something, and then it'll say, gay sailor, gay plumber, gay, you know, is a gay electrician, gay lawyer, whatever they're trying to be, it's always the same costume, basically, next to nothing. <laughs> this is so true, that's <laughs> everything, I think I've been all of those things. <laughs> we'll have to see some pictures of that. Yeah, we'll flash them up right now. <laughs> so at some point I guess after you explored the cliff pub and started to come in touch with your um, sexuality and know where you fit in the gay community you decided to move to London yes yep. and one of the bars that you mentioned to me in London which I have seen described online as Soho Chic is Rupert Street yeah um, how does Rupert Street compare to the Cliff Pub? So Rupert Street was always a place that I went to sort of when I was visiting London. Um, it became a hub like in Soho and um, just off of Old Compton Street. And it's was a place that my friends would always sort of go to. I think actually I loved it because originally back in its day, it was very much a jock and daddy bar. Um, and that was the clientele and you used to go there as like a sort of Twinkie um, and yeah, get a lot of attention. I guess might have had something to do with it. Um, But 
as sort of the years gone by, Rupert Street just always seemed a hub for the community as well here. And especially on Pride every year, it has a huge space outside um, in the street and everyone sort of gravitates towards it. But compared to the cliff, it's a different experience. It's more modern. Um, it's more sort of open and space. And I think it caters to sort of perhaps on a standard night, probably sort of like... 20s to 30s crowd but then on sort of pride and everything else it's anyone's game again it's very um yeah very open and stuff and I still go back there I've had many a fun nights there and um they have a DJ and um they have they used to have this thing as well actually which was really um fun they don't have it anymore um probably for inclusivity as well but um where every time the bartender sort of took your drinks order on the till it would flash up um whether they were top bottom or verse <laughs> um which cuts out a whole conversation sometimes so you know. <laughs> yeah, don't need to talk to him Move yeah on. exactly <laughs> oh that okay i know yeah so um but that was fun and i think that was the vibe of the bar i think rupert street in itself was ha has a fun vibe and it doesn't take itself too seriously. It, it kind of doesn't um, care to be out there and um, flamboyant. And it's a really sort of nice space for, I would say, meeting friends after work, after a work day. And you kind of just want to get a, grab a table on the high tops and just like have a drink with your mate. Um, and it has that vibe. And you can either have one or spend the night there. <laughs> now, as the the comment that I made earlier kind of implies it's located in Soho, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Soho, if I'm not mistaken, if my if my London history serves me correctly, Soho was kind of like the original red light district of London. It's where the the hookers and cowboys and whatever used to hang out, and it's kind of evolved now um, and became quite a a gay center. I mean, there's a lot of gay activity there there's if they're not gay businesses they're gay accepting or gay friendly mm -hmm. um and rupert street i've seen a variety of different logos they've used over the years i've seen pictures of the building which of course we will all put up in the video so people can see what we're talking about and maybe even some copies of their ads but they have a you mentioned uh they have several spaces in the bar uh one of which is a beer garden so they have a room that's dedicated to consumption of beer. Is that what that is? Or what's the beer garden? No. So in Rupert Street, um, they kind of have, I mean, would you call it? I think a beer garden is very generous um, to say that. Well, that's um, what they call it on their website. So Do they? Wow. I think they should change that. Um, <laughs> Self-aggrandizing. Might be misinforming people a little bit. Um, they've got benches around the outside. So I guess you could call that sort of their beer garden. Perhaps that's what they mean um, by it. Um, garden's a very polite way of saying it, I would say. But um, yeah, no, I wouldn't say necessarily. It has got different sort of spaces and locations and stuff. Um, but um, yeah, Rupert Street, I think, is they, they've got different sections in the sense there's a sit down bit, there's um, like the high tops, the bar area, um, and then 
they can move stuff for a DJ sort of section. So it's got that. And then there's a big outside bit. So it does definitely have, it caters for everything that you sort of need in the sense of like, if you're having a big night out or if you're having sort of a casual drink or if you're having a date, which I've done many a times in Rupert Street and seen exes in there during that day, which isn't always good. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> too many people know Rupert Street so um, yeah but it's a good bar I would definitely say it's a great bar to sort of feel relaxed and visit and especially Soho is as you described such a hub and such a centre um, and it's a very safe space for our community and I think that um, all of the bars are fantastic in their own right but obviously Rupert Street has a huge space um, which is always lovely um, and it's a great pre-bar to drink in um, and get the night started. Now, you mentioned that they have a DJ. Do they have a mm -hmm. dance floor or is it just DJ for your listening pleasure? And So it's DJ for your listening pleasure, but at the weekend and on busy nights like Thursday, Fridays, for example, they will like move some chairs and clear a space. So there is a dance floor as, of sorts, not really that big, but... We'll call it a dance floor. Let's call it a dance floor for um, argument's sake. Um, I mean, you can dance, but yeah. So um, there's definitely space to sort of do all of that, but I'd call it more of a pre-bar. I think it's a pre-bar before you sort of go out and hit like something like, I don't know, Freedom and um, GAY or whatever. So um, it's a good pre-bar. It's, it's really in a lovely place as well because Rupert Street is sort of on the corner and just opposite is a lovely place called The Yard. And both of those bars are absolutely fantastic for like free drinks and stuff. Um, and they often do a lot of like link ups and stuff. So now, one thing that a lot of the bars here do, especially the ones that you would, you know, call a pre bar, a lot of the <laughs> ones that have an earlier crowd uh, in the States do a happy hour and they have yeah. discounted drink prices, possibly little uh, nibble items, you know, pretzels and nuts and stuff on the bar. Do they do that in London too? Do you do you see bars that are offering discounted drinks, you know, around dinner time, or is that not common? Yeah, we definitely have like happy hour and like buy one get one free and stuff like that um, on selected drinks. Um, it's sort of like they do promo nights, so they do sort of um, tonight is um, drag night or something like that, and all the drinks before uh, sort of seven p.m. are a certain price or they'll do like a Prosecco night or something like that so they do do promotional nights like that but I feel like the states do that a lot more than us and there's definitely no peanuts on the bar I don't know if that's just because they don't trust where hands have been rightly so but yeah um, no nuts. after COVID I think COVID Especially changed a lot of things yeah yeah no nuts on bar absolutely not they scrapped that <laughs> so over here um, you know, some of the common drinks that people will order when they go out are uh, like a screwdriver, you know, vodka and orange juice, or a bourbon and Coke, or a rum and Coke. What is the common drink, um, other than obviously pints of beer, uh, what is the common drink that you see people ordering when you go out to the clubs in London? Mm, gosh, that's a good question. So varied these days, right? Um I mean, a lot of people, especially in um, the bars in Soho, um, might like start with Jaeger bombs or a round of like Jaeger bombs. Do you have those over there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, 
I feel like everyone says, oh, do you want a Jaeger? Or, um, so that's that's quite a common thing. Although recently, actually, for the um, for the weaker drinkers, um, we've been having a lot of tequila rosé. I'm not sure if you get that over there either. I it's like a milkshake. It's a milkshake shot. With tequila in it. Yeah, it's basically like a strawberry milkshake with um, tequila. Um, but um, I would say, yeah, Jaeger bombs um, and then just mixers. So a lot of people would have like spirits, especially in those sort of bars. And I feel like amongst my friends, especially whiskey is just like whiskey and Coke is a real classic drink, which I absolutely hate. I find whiskey too. Someone said, oh, whiskey will put hairs on your chest. I do not want hairs on my chest. I shave them off. <laughs> Like, I can relate to that sentiment. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll skip the whiskey and have the vodka. Um, but I think the rise in cocktail culture is really something that we're experiencing here. Um, I know that a lot of um, bars actually in Soho have actually now added a sort of cocktail bar element to their bar um, to cater for those sort of cocktail crowds. And I do know that a lot of people, especially like with my friends and stuff, loved going for a, like a cocktail first to start the night sort of thing and then get into the heavier sort of drinking if we're going to go out and party or whatever um so i think a lot of people are drinking cocktails here and obviously the fav- fan favorites are like espresso martini keep you awake um cosmopolitan um margarita oh you name it we'll have it <laughs> as long as there's alcohol involved now what is the drinking exactly. age there what could, what age can you actually walk into a bar by yourself and order a cocktail um depends if you get asked for id or not i guess (laughs) (laughs) okay legally what is the drinking age yeah um legally the drinking age is 18 so um you have to be 18 um but yeah you have to be 18 legally so so we're gonna we're gonna assume for the part for the purpose of this interview that you never had a cocktail or alcoholic beverage at all before you turned 18, correct? Absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> I am not crossing my fingers. <laughs> all right, then. So another bar that you mentioned, which I, is also in Soho, correct? Friendly Society is in Soho. Uh, yes, Friendly Society. I was reading about uh, Friendly Society and... I discovered some things that I was a little confused about. So maybe you can explain this as a starter. The research I did indicated that bars referred to as, quote, friendly society are kind of customer or group owned bars. They're like a almost like a cooperative. They're not one guy that opens a bar and decides to call it friendly. It's kind of like a, a bunch of people own a small part of the bar and it it operates as a almost like a private club is that correct is that what a friendly society is wow i've never heard that um description but it sounds sounds interesting i'm not sure about the ownership part of it but private club sounds about sort of like right because the friendly society is iconic you've got anyone who's listening to this and visiting um london um, and especially going to Soho, must visit the Friendly Society because it's a bar unlike any other. Um, and I guess like private sort of club style thing, yeah, it's definitely got that vibe. It's a small place, so there's a doorman on the door and they do number count as you go in. Um, and then you go downstairs 
Um, and then it's very much like a small but cute and incredible sort of place with many different sections. Um, and it's almost like um, a TARDIS. Do you guys know that reference, uh-huh. Doctor Who? Exactly. Um, yeah. So, like, you go in and it sort of opens up. It's huge. Um, but it's not big either. I mean, the bar's quite small. Um, when you're in and it's busy, you feel it. Um, but the vibe is lovely. Um, it's quite a dark place. Um, but they've got so many things to draw your attention to. They've got Barbies hanging from the ceiling. They've got toy cars. They've got um, lots of stuff everywhere, photo bit. Um, They've got like these quirky and weird chairs. They've got these couch seats in the back um, where you can lay down with your friends and stuff. Um, It's, I feel like it's friendly society because they kind of are inclusive. They kind of like, let you in and then everything's okay so I think it was sort of done as a bit of a speakeasy vibe but then it's just cool it's just nice and it's just a friendly place and I think the reason for the society element is because they wanted you to feel like you're going into a club and like you're accepted and this is your place this is your people sort of thing um and it definitely had that vibe um I got introduced to friendly society from a friend actually um, when I was visiting London back before I lived here and um, it kind of just opened my blew my mind it was really we had a brilliant night Um, it might not be a destination sort of bar it might be just one that you sort of go to and then go into other places but I have had so many fun times there again they have a DJ um, they have different sort of themes Um, the bar staff are lovely and you just go there and there's just nice people, nice vibe, and everyone talks to each other, um, everyone flirts with each other. It just feels good. Like, it's a great, friendly place. Um, and, yeah, I just think it's one of those places in London that's got character, got personality. It's not just your standard bar. Um, and it's definitely something on the tourist map. You should definitely go and visit it and um, immerse yourself in and see what you spot. I mean, I think there's a fishbowl in there as well. Go hunt. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that. I uh, I read a lot of reviews on their, um, I think it was TripAdvisor page, um, a lot of people talking about it. Some of the descriptions that I heard were that it has kitschy 1970s decor, um, that it's a quirky basement club, um, that uh, they specifically mentioned a lot of glitter balls, which, you know, disco balls. Um, Barbies, the fish. Mm-hmm. Um, one person mentioned the room with the bed, the room which is a bed. <laughs> um, is that the room you're talking about where you can yeah. lounge around with your friends? It's um, like a lay down sofa bit with a hole in the middle. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's very good. I mean, I'm not sure it's very um drink friendly because laying down with a drink is not always easy. Um, but yeah, and they've got the, these little toadstools as well, which you can sit on. It's, yeah, they, it's they refer to those as um, gnome chairs. Gnome chairs, okay, yeah, we'll go with gnome chairs. That's um, what, what the review said. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just such a cool place, and like I said, there's so much to sort of draw your attention to, and the people are friendly, 
Um, and it is quite small. It's a basement and um, it's obviously got different, like sort of, it's like a warren. So like a rabbit's warren, like you go into different parts. Um, but yeah, no, it's really good. And I've had really good memories there. I've had some really uh, sort of good nights. Um, I met an ex-boyfriend there, which is an ex, but hey, we had a good time. Um, and yeah, I just I just think it's a nice place and it's different as well because a lot of bars are trying to be like trendy or trying to be new or modern um, and it doesn't try to be anything other than itself, which is really nice. So it's its, its own theme. There's no other place like it in um, London for at least. Um, and yeah, it's really good. It's definitely one to visit, friendly society. And it's continued for years and still been unapologetically itself. So um, I think that's really nice and it's a good place to visit. And yeah, you'll always get a friendly so smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Now, one thing that somebody mentioned to me that struck me as a little odd, and this popped up in one of the reviews of somebody who had been there and had a good time and everything. And uh, they said, I felt especially honored when the, the barman offered me pineapple and cheese. What does that mean? Is there, do they serve food there? Does, is that something weird that, you know, the bartender does when he's trying to hit on you or? Yeah, I would definitely say that's the bartender hitting on them. Um, <laughs> but doesn't pineapple, is it pineapple that makes your um, spunk taste better? I'm not sure if that was telling them something. Yeah, um, yeah I'm not sure about why. that. It's never happened to me. So perhaps I've just not been that lucky. Um <laughs> And I've never seen anyone get the pineapple and cheese board. Wow! Um, but next time I'm gonna I'm gonna go in and ask for it and see what That's happens. Right. See what happens. I might be led to a back door <laughs> or a back bedroom. Maybe. Um, I better ask <laughs> better, the right person. You better be sure you ask the right person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, pineapple and cheese. No, that's a great combination though. I'm very for Hawaiian pizzas. All right then. So we'll mark your vote down in case anybody asks. So even, even in the Queen's England, we have a vote for pineapple on pizza. Absolutely, yeah. I will. I would. I will stand by it and eat and eat a piece, or or a pizza. <laughs> so the only negative comment I heard on any of the reviews or comment boards about Friendly Society was that somebody who apparently was Latino, said that they felt that they weren't welcome and they were asked to leave and they thought it was because they were Latino. But other mm -hmm. reviews that I've read mention people of different um, nationalities who were you know, reviewing the place and been there with their friends and had a great time, gay, mm -hmm. straight, ally, whatever. Um, do you, have you noticed that? Is there any particular... Uh, bias against Latino groups or is it just this person was a an asshole Latino and they didn't want him in there I mean I find I, that's very upsetting if that's the case but I've never witnessed that and I've seen all people from all walks of life and backgrounds um, in the friendly society and I'd be very um, surprised um, just in the vibe that they sort of um, produce and put out there and um, if that was the case I wonder if I mean, I can't comment, but I wonder if, um, yeah, there was an issue that night. However, I've never really witnessed anything like that. So um, I couldn't comment, but um, not to my knowledge, 
I've seen um, lots of a variety of different people and been in there with a lot of different people myself. So um, I've not experienced that side of things, fortunately. Yeah, I've noticed that too, um, that a lot of times, especially when it's somebody who considers themselves an outsider or a marginalized you know, member of a community, that they assume that the reason that they're being serviced differently is because of their their race or whatever and, it, and it's not always the case sometimes it's just that they're a jerk and they need to be you know treated that way but everything else that i've read about um friendly society sounds really cool i mean it sounds like a really fun kind of funky mm. place you know no pretense no I was going to say no drama, but it's a, you know, it's a gay friendly bar. So I'm sure <laughs> uh, the drama comes with the customers. But, drama um, comes. So what kind of things do they do for entertainment there? Do they offer uh, drag shows or, or go-go boy nights or anything, or do they just. No, if you want go-go boys, you can go next door to the village that um, has go-go boys galore. Um but no, Friendly Society, um, they do DJ and host nights and stuff like that. Um, they have done drag. I think they still do actually some drag acts. Um, but because of the size of it, I think that they limit themselves on too many sort of um, event night style things. Um, I think they've actually hosted it out um, before for different events as well, which is kind of cool because it's a great venue. Um, but yeah, no sort of like, and I've never been to sort of one of the bespoke nights apart from the after parties sometimes. Um, but they they do have a DJ. They do sometimes have drag. So um, yeah, it's just, I just love it. It's just got a good vibe in it. And it's just like, you want like a good friendly drink, um, good music, good music as well. Um, and good remixes. They always do a good remix. So yeah, I love it. It's good. So we've talked about three bars uh, in England so far. We've talked mm -hmm. about the Cliff Pub. We've talked about Rupert Street and we've talked about Friendly Society. Mm -hmm. So of those three bars, which is the biggest bar? The biggest bar would be um, Rupert Street. And which bar of those three have been luckiest for you? Where have oh you met God. more tricks, boyfriends, exes? Luckiest for me, probably. Mm, they've all been lucky in their own right. I mean, probably I'd be, it'd be split between Rupert Street and the cliff. But maybe I'd pick Rupert Street just because... Yeah, I've been on a lot of dates there. <laughs> I guess you could do that. Like well, that. And you're also a little bit older and you live in London now. So, you know, it's probably your your gay life is probably more full than it was when you were living back at home. Um, True. So it's probably a, a little bit different um, arrangement now. Now, you've, you've said great things about all three bars. You've pretty much told everybody that if they're visiting either Southend-on-Sea or London, they have to visit these particular bars. Sure. So I need to ask you this question. Do you get paid to promote these bars? <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I wish. I might contact them. Um, no, they're just really good. Like, um, they're just bars that I've sort of grown up with and had great experiences um, in personally. Um, so... 
No, unfortunately, no fee, but yeah, I should demand one, right? <laughs> yeah, I've thought about that myself, but I'm the same way. I have bars yeah. that just, you know, have a very special place in my heart and that every time I think about them or every time I go there, I'm like, you know, I really love this place. It's really awesome. Now, you mm. mentioned early on when we were talking about Cliff Pub that some people say these days that we don't really need gay bars anymore, that you can go to any, you know, fish and chip stand and meet a guy and go home with them or, you know, start mm. a relationship and have children, whatever you're going to do. But um, I kind of feel like, and this has come up in several of the interviews that I've done, that we still need the gay community bars because they allow us to find out how we fit into the community. If you go mm. to a fish and chip stand, yeah, you might meet a cute guy and spend the weekend with him, but you're not going to meet 50 or 100 or 200 people and find out that you lean more toward being drag or being goth or being whatever. You don't get to experience the little intricate details and the variety of, of the community. So I agree. I, I'm glad that there are still thriving bars. Um, I think it's really important as well in smaller towns as well. Absolutely. Because I think, I think there's, it's great if you're comfortable and you're out and you are confident in yourself. But so many people aren't. And so many people want to find sort of a place where they can breathe and they can be a little bit more themselves and stuff. And I think that queer, gay, um, safe spaces do that and allow that so i think that yeah they should definitely have they have a relevant place right now and they i think they will for a long time um i think it's great that other places are accepting and so they should um because the queer community accepts all allies as well so yeah I've we heard that. Okay. friendly society some of the best reviews i read from um, friendly society were from heterosexual people who had been there with their partner or spouse or whatever and said that they had more fun there than they had in any, you know, straight bar because of, mm. of the people being so warm and friendly. So, yeah, um, and I would tend to agree with you on that. Got to love a hetero review. <laughs> <laughs> they should put a little icon there so you know, though, if the, per you know, what the person's identity is. So you yeah. can kind of take it with a grain of salt, maybe. Um, yeah. Now, I know you're, I'm sure, aware that um, a little over a week ago, we had another incident in a gay bar here in the States, uh, in Colorado Springs. There was a uh, shooting of several people who worked at or, or partied at um, Club Q in, um, in Colorado Springs. And the day after that incident, I had already previously scheduled an interview with the woman who owned Pulse, uh, which was the bar in Orlando where 49 people were killed. Yeah. Do you ever have that kind of um, violence and incidents in, in England and we're just not hearing about it here or? Yeah, I mean, obviously um, the um, here in the UK, we heard about um, those attacks and um, it was published in our sort of um, LGBTQ plus media as well. Um, so yeah, we obviously stand with you guys and it's terrible and horrendous and we do hear about it. Um, but equally touch wood to my knowledge, not for a while, but, um, 
we haven't had um any sort of major instance like that um for for quite a, a number of years we had um some horrendous things i think that i don't know if you guys ever heard about the admiral duncan um sort of nail bomb um which was um quite bad um and then there's obviously other things that happen and stuff not as high scale but there's definitely stuff that has happened in the past and um but in recent years um not so much and obviously we've we've seen that in america and witnessed from afar um which which is disgusting and um obviously i can't I still we it still shocks me to this day that that sort of thing happens and those attacks happen um so yeah we're perhaps fortunate in the sense that it hasn't happened as much or as regularly um but you still hold your breath sometimes especially on pride um there's a huge amount of people probably like america um in one small location in soho um like absolutely masses of people and you do walk through and you think this would be very like time for an attack or something horrendous to happen you can't help but think that in our community we are vulnerable so um and still to this day we are so yeah um fortunately touch wood um it hasn't happened and may it long continue um but yeah we stand with america and it's it's terrible what's happened out there and it really rocks us too yeah it is i always think of england as being a a more refined society somehow and i guess part of it is just because of your your gun control laws people don't have guns there typically whereas here some people have you know 100 guns in their in their closet which i think is ludicrous but that's another story entirely yeah Um, it is i mean the gun sort of situation i i guess um helps our us our sides um and definitely hinders you your side so um yeah it's tricky it's horrible to hear really horrible to hear so we've been talking with daniel harding who is the author of gay man talking and he has been talking about the bars uh, both in Southend-on-Sea and in London, England. And now we're going to kind of switch over and talk about Gay Man Talking. So tell us about how that book kind of came to, into fruition. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been really fun to uh, sort of go um, nostalgic and go down uh, memory lane and think about some bars um, that have changed for my life. Um, and that's essentially actually what Gay Man Talking um, is also about. It's about a nostalgic feeling of um, a time where um, I went through obviously coming out and had conversations, but then stopped talking. Um, and the book sort of looks at the fact that once we come out, we don't have as many of those conversations again. We kind of sweep it under the carpet, job done, we're out, let's stop talking about it and just move on. And what I learned actually is there were still so many conversations to have um, mid thirties um, years on. And so in the book, I have all those conversations and um, I open up dialogue again. So the book goes through different chapters, talking to my parents, sibling and um, role models, talking about sex, talking about bullies. Um, and I really have those conversations um, talking about obviously how the other side felt or how we dealt with things. And it's fascinating because I went into these conversations not knowing how they'd sort of play out and found lots of 
in amazing and heartbreaking and emotional and thought-provoking things so the book really sort of journeys um our coming out process but also encouraging people to talk we don't talk enough we come out and shut up and we really shouldn't so gay man talking is all about opening up and joining that conversation again so if we were to meet some of your friends and acquaintances um, either from back home or from London, will we find out that you now, as a result of putting this book together, are pretty much completely open about your life and that your friends know all kinds of things that they might not know about other friends of theirs? Yes, absolutely. And I went on national TV to talk about it as well, so I can't hide now. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, I'm all out there, even in the sex chapter. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It's a definitely an interesting feeling having your closest friends and family read every sort of detail about you. Um, but it's good. And I'm glad that I've done it and put it out there. And um, I've had great feedback. It's available in the UK and the US. And um, I've had really great feedback saying that it's encouraging people to talk to their family, perhaps. And, you know, not everyone's sort of coming out and experiences the same and this is as much a book for our allies and um, people outside of the community as it is inside because it's it's sort of encouraging people to sort of talk to their people as well um, and to really think about how we sort of label people talk to people feel about people and um, yeah really to join that conversation and open up and tell all <laughs> so you mentioned that one of the chapters in the book um, has some kind of explicit information about your sex life. And you mentioned that your parents have read the book. Um, mm -hmm. How did they respond to that particular revelation? Were they a little shocked or are they just very kind of cool hippie people that said, oh, wow, cool. I mean, yeah, that was an interesting process. Um, I mean, my parents are in one of the chapters, so I have a conversation with both of them, all three of them. I've got three parents. Um, and, um, yeah, and so they sort of knew what they were going into, and they knew, and I did tell them, I said, look, there's going to be a sex chapter, feel free to skip it. Um, but they didn't, and they read it. And it's it's not, it's not graphic, graphic, but obviously right. there's there's details in there that, you kind of would never want to tell your parents. Um, right. But it is there to sort of help a discussion rather than sort of um, sexualize anything. It's not about sort of, I mean, I'm sure people will make what they want from it and I'm there, laid bare. Not literally, you can't see a picture of me there, but um, yeah. And so it was interesting he, and we've kind of skipped over that sort of, it is what it is. They had to read it. So, yeah, I'd have been upset if they hadn't have read the book. I didn't mind if they didn't read the uh, sex chapter, but they did. They went all in. Now, on the flip side of that, obviously, the sex chapter at least alludes to some of your exes or encounters. Were any of them upset by it or did, have you even heard from them? <laughs> um, well... All names and identities were changed. Um, so um, if anyone relates to anything, I cannot confirm or deny um, it was them. Um, I have had comments um, suggesting that perhaps I was referencing certain people, but I've not had anyone explicitly sort of come out and say, 
hang on, is this me? Um, so I'm hoping that that's just going to stay the same because, yeah. But identities were changed and respected. So um, hopefully people are happy. And I also merge a couple of like my experiences so that, um, yeah, hopefully they won't, they won't sort of know. But it's all true. It's all nonfiction. So they're out there, those people. Fabulous people. How long did it take you to put that book together? So um, I was speaking to a publisher. I'm a broadcast journalist here in the uh, UK. So um, I do a lot of producing content and um, writing for different publications. And um, I published an article about being the gay best friend and, and the toxic toxic sort of nature of it. Um, and then I spoke to a publisher and um, during lockdown, the first uh, sort of wave of lockdown, and we discussed sort of um, this book. And then they signed me and I wrote it within six months. Very cool. So the book is called Gay Man Talking. And the author is Daniel Harding. And it is available in the U.S. and the U.K. I suspect it's available on Amazon, which is the, you know, apparently started out, what, 20, 25 years ago as an online bookstore and has, has grown into this monstrosity but they still have a great selection of books and so you can look for daniel's book um on amazon or you can just google daniel harding gay man talking and i'm sure you'll find plenty of other options there now you finished the book <laughs> you finished the book and you're still working as a broadcast editor and journalist what are what's coming up next yeah, so um, I'm enjoying sort of a bit of writing downtime um, because, um, yeah, it can get a little bit tiring. Um, but I am um, in talks for my second book, which is really exciting, um, which hopefully will be out um, maybe towards the back end of next year or early the year after. Um, so I'm working on my next book at the moment. Um, and next year I have some um, exciting opportunities um, which I'm going to explore um, and continue creating content. And I'm actually due to visit um, New York and LA. Um, so I'm hoping to coordinate some signings or something like that. So hopefully I'll see loads of people. All right then. Well, we look forward to having you coming over stateside and to seeing your next book. And I really want to thank you for taking the time to kind of virtually transport yourself across the big pond and talk to us about the bars from your gay history. So thank you so much, Daniel. It's an absolute pleasure and thank you for having me. That concludes another episode of the Gay Archive Show. For more information about this episode or to find more episodes, visit gaybarchives.com.